Well, we are so blessed to have um, Lynette here tonight to share her testimony for a few reasons. Yeah, let's give her a round of applause. You might remember at the end of the summer that uh, we came together for a Wednesday night gospel family study, and uh, we had gotten the news that uh, Lynette had had a heart attack, and uh, at that point, all I had heard was that she had um, had a heart attack in the grass next to her uh, field that was on fire, a field that was on fire, and um, as she was rushing around her house trying to get her animals in, she'd had a heart attack and been passed out on the grass for quite a while, and she'd been without uh, oxygen for quite a while, and basically we thought that she was going to go home to be with the Lord that night, and came in here and broke the news, and I broke down crying, and I think Rich was the other guy that was weeping like crazy here. Maybe not. I don't know if he. <laughs> but we all just wept and cried and prayed and canceled the Bible study to go to the hospital to pray with her. And um, God is so good and God is so faithful because he brought her through it and she's looking good and she is um, bold tonight and she's uh, ready to proclaim God's excellencies in her life. So let's give uh, Lynette a hand as she comes on up. Well, I had this written out about four different times and... Tonight I just looked at it and I just threw it in the garbage and came down there. I'm just going to wing it. So, oh, Turn the lights down. Can you turn the lights down just a little bit? She doesn't want to be seen at all. No, I can't see. Yeah, I can't see. Um, oh, boy. My name's Lynette, and um, I grew up near Seattle. My dad was the head of Boeing's um, data processing center, and um, my mom worked a little bit off and on, but not very much, mostly just stayed home with us kids. I had two brothers, an older brother and a younger brother, and we lived, oh, I guess, about 30 miles out of Seattle on just a small acreage, and kind of had some woods and a creek and all that kind of thing. Um, I remember, you know, actually a pretty neat childhood, spent a lot of time down at the creek getting snakes and frogs and pollywogs and birds and falling out of trees and that sort of thing. Um, both my brothers and I were, all three of us were adopted and... You have to bear with me here. My, my memory <laughs> comes and goes here. Um, just, I'm, I'm sorry, <laughs> I get lost. Um, we went to uh, church every Sunday the whole time I was growing up. My dad was a very strong Christian, and I'm not so sure about my mom, but... Um, we were just expected to be at church absolutely every single Sunday unless we were on the verge of dying. Um, my dad was always kind of a, a big influence as far as my Christian life. Um, also, my, my mom's parents, I didn't see them but just a few times a year, but even just those few times that I saw them, um, they were just always such strong believers, you know, and just always, always praying, and um, I think the thing about them that influenced me the most was their joy in the Lord, you know, just, it, it was never just a have to go to church or thought they should go to church or just the duty, you know, they just were always so full of, of joy, and that just really always made an impression on me, and um Despite going to church every Sunday and all that, I, to be honest, have to say I really never got that much out of it as a child. I loved all the stories about Jesus. Um, when I started getting closer to my teens and went through all the confirmation classes, you know, three years of memorizing everything and just 
in one ear and out the other. And in that church, I never, ever remember once hearing that you actually had to have a relationship with the Lord, that um, you ever had to make a decision to accept Jesus as your Lord. It was just seemed like it was just go to church and kind of be a good person, and you were a Christian. And um, that's kind of most of what I knew most of my childhood, I guess. And when I got into my, my teens, um, I've always been an animal person. Um, I've loved horses since I was like two. I mean, just absolutely probably been the worst horse nut anybody has ever known in their lives. Just, um, I was probably about 12 or so when I, my dad finally let me get my own horse and from then on, it just everything went downhill. You know, I was just horses, horses, horses all the time. You know, just writing about horses, reading about horses, studying about horses, drawing horses. I got in trouble all the time. Um, and after I got my horse, I think it was probably all of two months, and I decided I didn't have enough time in the day to do all the things I needed to do and still have time to ride as much as I wanted to, so I started sneaking out my window almost every night, and I would spend four or five hours every night year-round. I mean, even in the worst winter, you know, sometimes it'd be down to almost zero, and I'd be out there riding around and then come back, put my horse away, and sneak back in the window again so I could get back in time to go to school in the morning. And um, that was kind of most of my teenage years. Was, um, and as I kind of went through my teens, I started just, you know, arguing with my dad about going to church, just didn't see the point in it. And then I started showing horses, and the horse shows were always on Sunday, and they didn't fight me too hard after a while, and so I just kind of quit going to church. And then when I graduated... I was working out the racetrack and horse farms and one thing after another and um, ended up jumping into a marriage way too young, too stupid, too, too everything, you know, mismatched the whole, whole nine yards. I mean, that's kind of the story of my life, just kind of screwed everything up. Um, anyhow, it was, a, it was a really bad marriage, but um, we had several daughters and... Um, instead of horses being number one in my life at that point, then my daughters were number one in my life and horses were kind of a close second. <laughs> this, um, it's not very funny, but I mean, it's just the way it was. But um, anyhow, I just kept, kept on with the, you know, the showing and training and stuff and then started kind of getting into some professional training and, you know, it just kept snowballing and just, that's what my life was all about. Yeah. Um, basically, just just family and horses. And even though I can't say I really, never um, ever really had a, a real relationship with with God, I never really felt like I'd ever just walked away from Him. Um, Unfortunately, most of my relationship was, you know, like I was in trouble or something bad was happening, and then you start praying, but don't give him a whole lot of thought in the meantime. And uh, that just kind of kept going for quite a number of years. Um, I got to the point where I actually was just working with the horses, showing and training 365 days a year, just never took time out for anything else, you know, if it was family situation or something, you know, I'd go, you know, it was a holiday, you know, you go have the holiday dinner and then you go back to the barn and, and go working with your horses some more and, and uh, not a very good idol. Um,
anyhow, things uh, obviously weren't very, going very well with my marriage. I'm looking back, I'm, I'm really surprised. You know, part of it was me, part of it was him, but I'm, I'm just really surprised we stayed together very long at all. Um, Um, eventually, um, the economy just kind of went downhill and we ended up moving down to Central Oregon. Just out of the blue, we had a friend that was moving to Central Oregon and we just kind of like, sounds as good a place as any, and we just up and moved down here. And and uh, I went to work at the Inn of the Seventh Mountain, working at the stables there. And um, we moved out to Tumalo, and somewhere along in there, I decided my girls were missing out because I hadn't been taking them to church. So I started taking them down to a little, um, just a little community church there in, in Tumalo, and I would take them there and drop them off and go home and come back in an hour and pick them up, and that way I could get them what they needed and I didn't have to go back into the church and um, their teacher would come out every every time uh, class was over and I'd come to pick him up. He would always bring the girls out to the car for me and he would always invite me into church. And so I would just, oh gee, now I'm on my way to the feed store and the next week it was, oh no, I gotta go home and feed the chickens. and. Uh, no, I gotta go home and feed fence and or fix fence and and I think I must have made it. I don't know, maybe three months. I I just kept coming up with one excuse after another, and uh, finally, just one day, I just ran out of excuses. I couldn't think of any more, and so I just went on in and sat down. and And the church was just totally different. Um, you know, those people were just really warm and and welcoming and. Um, I actually started hearing about having a real relationship with the Lord. And so I went back and went back and I was at that church for several years. Um, you know, kind of got a little bit involved with home groups and um, you know, Wednesday night church and various things and um, started really reading my Bible and attending some Bible studies and God's word just really started finally to to sink in a little bit, and um, I don't remember the exact event or, or even if there is one, but I do remember just, you know, waking up one morning. It was like all along I'd been, ever since I was a child, you know, growing up in church, you know, I was aware that I was a sinner, you know, I'm a sinner, you're a sinner, we're all sinners, and, and you know, it just didn't seem all that bad, and... Just one morning, I just woke up and and for some reason, it just really struck me what kind of a sinner I was, you know, that I wasn't just a sinner, but I was full of sin. I was really, truly, you know, down to the core, sinful. And, um, you know, just that I was absolutely full of sin and I needed a savior very badly. And I can just remember just just going down on my knees. It was not a warm, fuzzy feeling at all. It was uh, pretty intense. And uh, just letting God know, you know, how I felt and that I was repenting and, and wanting to turn my life around and that's kind of when things started to change a little bit for me. Um, they really went downhill, and it just, <laughs> you know, the economy had been bad, and, you know, there was no money in training or showing or anything, and we were kind of starting to scrape by hand to mouth, and, and uh, my... My oldest daughter, I think about that time, she must have been about 11, and she become a diabetic just like overnight, ended up in the hospital, almost died, you know, and fortunately I had half the church there praying for her that night, you know, and they didn't think she was going to make it, but she did, and she's still with us here today. Um, 
and about that same time, I ended up in a bunch of car accidents. Yeah, it wasn't my driving. In fact, some of the time I wasn't even a driver. I was just kind of in the wrong place at the wrong time and um, had four car accidents in 16 months. And um, two of them I was almost killed in. But I messed up my neck and my back and my hips and my knees and had to have knee surgery and all kinds of fun stuff. And, um, and about that time, we moved to Terrebonne. And, you know, still into the horses, couldn't ride, couldn't do anything for a long time, but um, I uh, finally got to the point where I was recovering a little bit, and so I thought one day, well, I'd hop on my horse just for a short ride. I was on my way to the doctor, and so I was going to just get on my horse for just this little short ride just for old time's sake, and I got on her, and I think I rode her about maybe 20, 30 minutes, and we come down a hill, and she ended up falling down, and we went down the hill together, and she um, busted my foot, and, and just totally ripped both ankles, just all the pieces, and it, it was bad. <laughs> So I ended up in um, a wheelchair for about six weeks, and I was on crutches for about a year, I think, and um, obviously things weren't getting any better. But in the meantime, I'd found a church up in Terrebonne and gotten really involved with the church up there, and they were kind of neat. They were a, a hospital church, and they'd just kind of take in anybody and everybody, and, and it was really just neat to see how, how these people were, were working and, and, you know, they really did a lot for me and helped build up my faith during during that time. And uh, during all this, my husband and I had had lots of problems, and I think he was suffering some with some depression and things. That he started getting angry and angrier and get very violent, and finally um, that just all all blew up one day. And so he took off and. We ended up getting a divorce, and I said things just weren't going very good. And so at that point, you know, I mean, here I sit with no job skills except horses and can't do anything with horses and uh, no money. I absolutely was not going to go talk to my parents and tell them I needed any help. So they didn't, they didn't live in the area. So um, the only ones that really knew the position I was in was my, my church and um my pastor kept telling me to go in and file for some welfare help. And I didn't grow up that way. And, and you know, it's just something that wasn't something I wanted to do. So I started just selling stuff. I was selling extra horses and selling furniture and everything else. And, you know, my pastor kept saying, you need to go get some help. That's what it's there for. And I'm like, no, I don't need help. And uh, finally I got to the point where I was sleeping on the floor because I'd sold my bed. And finally I got up one morning and I'm like, I'd, I'd been praying during this time, you know, just, you know, God help me find a job, you know, just you don't want me depending on somebody else. And, and you know, I don't know what I can do, but you can find me a job and that's kind of what you're here for. You know, you're my backup plan. And... Um, just kept praying and praying and just, I was getting no answers. And so that morning I'm finally just like, I don't have any choice. So I drove into Bend and had to eat my pride and go in there and apply for food stamps, which was one of the hardest things I've ever had to do. Um, so I left there and I was coming home and I was driving through Redmond and I was kind of having this one-sided conversation with God about, why he didn't help me out when I needed help and made me go in there and, and you know, ask for assistance from somebody. And all of a sudden I heard this voice, I mean, just, just as loud and clear as could be, I heard this voice just say, turn at the next right and go down and apply for a job at the Humane Society. And I'm like, you know, just kind of creeped me out a little bit. 
And so I just keep driving, and I hear this voice again, turn at the next right and go down and apply for a job at the Humane Society. And I'm like, this has to be God, I think, but I'm not sure, you know, and I'm like, turn right, right now, you know, and I just whipped over and <laughs> start driving down the, the road. I didn't even know where the Humane Society was, and I just started driving around out there, and I finally found the building, and I, I, mean, I felt really stupid. I, I've never done anything like this before, and, and just walked up there and went in the door, and there was a lady sitting behind the counter, and, and I asked if, if uh, they happened to be hiring and she just looks at me and she says, how did you know we're hiring? She says, the ad hasn't come out in the paper yet. And so I'm kind of, hmm, you know, and, and so anyhow, she took my application right then and there and interviewed me and I got a job. So all the way home, I'm like, God, why did you do this, you know? Um, why couldn't you have done this yesterday before I had to go down and apply for a job? I had a lot of learning to do about how, how God works and, you know, my pride was, was one of the things he was obviously working on. Um, so I worked at the Humane Society for, for a time and, you know, kind of got back on my feet a little bit again. And uh, eventually um, I met uh, my husband my, that I have now. And I think it was about... A year and a half, two years later, we got married. He lived here in Prineville, and um, he'd been coming to church over there in Terrebonne with me, you know, just almost every Sunday he was up there, and I didn't want to end up marrying a, a non-Christian, and so when it looked like it was kind of heading that way, you know, we spent lots and lots of time talking about the Lord and stuff, and I was pretty convinced he was... He was a Christian, and um, then you know, we ended up getting married, and I moved over here, and I started going to a church here in, in Prineville. I think I went there, there about, I don't know, 12, 15 years, I guess. And, um, you know, I thought we had a really good marriage. You know, we were really happy, did a lot of things together, did a lot of things with the kids, kind of like the way I grew up, you know, a lot of camping and fishing and just all kinds of things. And um, I guess probably for about 10 years, I was really happy. Um, got back into the horses. He had horses, I had horses. Then we had twice as many horses and you put them all together and then you've got 10 times as many horses. And you know, so that just kind of ballooned again. And we ended up, we had 60 horses at one time. Yeah. Um, but anyhow, we were, we were just doing, doing all this and, um, I was going to church, going to Bible study, going to Wednesday night Bible or Wednesday night church and, you know, some of the women's Bible studies and just slowly growing, but it was, it was kind of slow and I think part of it was maybe because I didn't really have my entire heart in it, you know, it was just kept being pulled by too many things in too many different directions, and um, some of the horses we had are very, very rare, and just kind of by some freak things, they became world famous, and then we started getting visitors from all over the country, and even out of the country, and, you know, it just got big, and I, I, could, I could just see things kind of going downhill again, you know, that my, my interests and time was being pulled in, in, in the wrong direction, and I really didn't know quite how to handle or what to do about it, but, um, you know, just kind of kept going, and, and we were getting overwhelmed, and we had both talked a lot about as soon as he retired, you know, then we were going to do this and do that, and um, about the time my husband retired, we ended up um, adopting another daughter, and it's my daughter, I don't know where she go, over there, Nikayla. She was five at the time, and um, she needed a lot of uh, my time, and so my time was split even further, you know, spending just lots and lots of time with her, and actually 
it just got to the point where I was being pulled further and further away from the horses because all my time was, was being spent on, on her. And I can remember through part of this, you know, talking to the Lord about the horse situation, you know, it's what I like to do. It's what I know. Um, you know, they've always been important to me, but you know, they weren't really primary in my life anymore. And it's kind of like, what, you know, what do you want me to do here? And, and, I, I hate losing things. Um, you know, whenever I've had animals die or something, you know, it's just really kind of traumatic for me. And so I even kind of talked to him about that, you know, that just I hate that, that pain, you know, the emotional pain. And um, I think that was part of his answer was as he was having me get more and more involved with, with my daughter and, and there were some other family things going on, you know, that I just became less and less involved with the horses and and my health started going downhill. I just, you know, all the old things, uh, more and more back problems and things, and I just couldn't get out there and, and work with them anymore. And so just very gradually, I just got to where there was that distance, you know, still liked them, still enjoyed them, but just never, never had that really... Um, you know, just that, that pain that I wasn't out there with them anymore. And uh, anyhow, as time went on, um, my husband and I started kind of having some issues. And I think a lot of it was just, you know, we were just too overwhelmed with a, a lot of things. But, you know, attitudes on both our parts and various things. But, um things finally got to the point where uh, I guess I, I was still working part-time at um, thir during this and things finally just got to the point here about a um, year and a half ago that my I just felt like I couldn't stay in the home with my husband anymore and um, so we separated and there's two homes on our property and so I moved into one, into the other house with Michaela, and my husband still lives in, in the first house. And so that got a little tense for a while. It wasn't a very comfortable first six months or so, and then we kind of started talking just a little bit, and um, my health just kept going downhill and downhill. And I finally, um, I think it was about... May or June, I finally got to the point I couldn't work my job anymore and I just had to quit. I mean, like right in the middle of a days where it just had to quit. And thing with the horses, uh, I couldn't help out at all anymore. My husband was getting to where he was overwhelmed with with the, the work and, and the financial aspect of it, you know, with the economy the way it is, was just getting really ugly and so we made the decision to just give them all away. And so we took uh, 50 head of horses over to a um, um, equine rescue over in, in Bend with the understanding that they keep them all together and, and find new homes for them. Um, so things were just kind of going along for a few months. Um, when I quit my job, the only reason I had been working, I wasn't making very much money, but they kept me uh, insured. And wasn't even very good insurance, didn't help with the day-to-day -day stuff, but it was going to cover me in case there was anything catastrophic. <laughs> and so when I had to quit, I thought, oh boy, what am I going to do without insurance? And I just, well, I just hope I stay healthy <laughs> until I'm old enough to go on social security. Social Security, and um, so then September 26th, I had got up that morning real early, and I was um, praying and doing a little Bible study, and then I was, I'd been reading in this book called um, Go for the Gold, I have no idea who it's by, can't can even find the book, but it was about the end time rewards, uh, Bema seat. 
and I had just been, been reading in that, and I just really got to digging in it that morning, and I was just like, you know, Lord, this is what I want. I don't care about anything else. You know, this is what I really want. Um, you know, I've just reached the point in my life, nothing else really matters. I mean, I love my family and everything else, but you are most important. And if I had one desire in my entire life, it would be that when I see you face to face someday, I could hear, well done, good and faithful servant. And uh, so I was just kind of praying and just reading and, and just, I was, I was actually pounding on the pages, you know, it's like this, this, I want this, you know. And finally, I just kind of heard him speaking to me, you know, it's like, how far are you willing to go? How much are you willing to give up? And like Peter, you know, I immediately stuck my foot in my mouth and I'm just like, oh, everything, just go for it, you know, I just give you everything, anything. And I think the words were no sooner out of my mouth and I started having, you know, the second thoughts, you know, and it's like, oh man, not my family, Lord, you know, and I just, not this, not that, and I really, really hate pain. I don't really want to go through a whole bunch of, I, I started just making all these conditions that, you know, I was going to give him absolutely everything except this and this and this and that I just realized, you know, kind of what I was doing. And it was really hard. I, I mean, I had to sit there and just really struggle with it. And I finally just, you know, no matter what, you know, no matter what it cost me. And I just was hoping it was not my family, you know, that if somebody was going to have to suffer some pain or something, it would be me. But, you know, whatever came, I knew that God was going to work it out for the best. And, you know, I was just going to have to trust him. And that's been one of my big issues all my life, I think, is, is just really 100% trusting him. And anyhow, so went to the doctor later that morning, came home and had lunch and sat down at my computer. And um, after a little bit, I could smell some smoke. And we'd been having all that smoke come in from sisters. Um, so I didn't really think too much of it at first, and then all of a sudden the smell of it just changed, you know, kind of like from that old smoke to, you know, like there's a fire burning, and I kind of half stood up and, and just peeked out. We got big French doors there, and, and I just peeked out the, the doors, and there's just this wall of flame coming across the fields towards our house. And about that time, um, one of my, my adult daughters, she's, she and her family had been living with me for a short time, and she come rushing out of the other part of the house, and she says, Mom, everybody's honking out on the on the road and stuff. And, and I said, yeah, there's a fire. And about that time, my husband came came running up and pounding on the door, and, and so people had already called 911. We could hear the the sirens and stuff coming, and, and so we were outside just, I don't know, rushing around doing whatever you do when there's a fire rushing down on your your house. Um, it's really a pretty bad situation because we've got the two houses there and there's about, I think about six barns and different little outbuildings and some of them are like probably 100 years old and we've got great big huge trees all around both houses and, and um, a lot of them are deciduous trees so there was lots of dry leaves and dry grass and and everything and and just to see that that wall of flame coming down on us you know I mean that was pretty scary so I mean we were just kind of running around doing all the stuff and the fire trucks were arriving and and going just past our driveway and and out into the the fields um, just beyond our, our yards and they were starting to fight the fire out there and then they decided they had to get some fire trucks into our our yard and just right on the other side of my house that I was in because they were afraid um, at that point there was sparks just coming from all the you know the fire and they were afraid the trees were going to torch and that it was just going to take out everything and uh, so these there was there was one fire truck had come in and gone around back behind 
the barn and we were um, they, they were wanting to put a, a fire truck in right right beside my house and there's a big gate there that goes into the pasture and we had fence posts and everything thrown in front of it so we were out there throwing fence posts you know just I mean just working kind of hard and fast and um, I already have a heart murmur and, and some other problems, so I was kind of already getting short of breath, and the smoke was getting really, really bad. And um, at some point, we, we cleared that, that gate, and we were waiting for that fire truck to come, and, and I told my husband, I said, I'm going to go check on the, the goats and make sure that, you know, they can still breathe. I didn't know if I was going to have to let them out or not, and told him to go back behind and check on the three horses that we had left. And uh, I cut over in front of our house and run down in between the house and the barn where, back to where the goats were and um, they were okay. The smoke was going this way and that way and just right where they were, they were okay. And so um, about that time I, I heard the other fire truck come in the, uh, our front gate and I could hear them talking on their, their radios and they weren't sure, because the fire was just actually just beyond my house, they weren't sure where to go. And so they pulled in there, and I could hear them talking that they weren't sure they had the right place. And so they were going to back out and go on beyond. And so I yelled at my husband, you know, I, I've got to go uh, catch the, the fire truck and stop them before they leave. And I turned, and I just started to run across their front yard. And... Um, between, I, I couldn't tell what was smoke and, and what was just my, my vision going or whatever. I, I knew I was running out of oxygen real fast, but I, I figured I could still pour it on and catch the fire truck before they left. And I guess I got about halfway across the yard. And um, this is weird, but all of a sudden I was not in my body anymore. I was like 20 feet above looking down and I could see this woman you know take a few more steps kind of going like a like a, a drunk and then just somersault and then just plow face first into the dirt and the rocks and I am just like whoa that had to hurt you know because I mean it was it was hard you know and I kept looking and the shirt seemed familiar and I just kept looking and looking and I'm like well, that's my shirt. And I'm like, that's me. And I was trying to figure out how I could be up here and down there at the same time, you know, watching myself. And um, a part of this, I, I remember bits and pieces, and part of it I've been told by uh, family that was there and the fire chief and... and the paramedics and stuff that were there, but um, anyhow, I had, that was me. <laughs> I took that header and then just plowed face first into the dirt. I kind of broke my front teeth, put my front teeth through my lip, and um, just ended up in the dirt there, kind of almost underneath a tree, and was just laying there, and um, my my adult daughter that was living with me, her boys were just supposed to get off the bus, so she had run out to the, um, she and her boyfriend had run out to the uh, road to uh, try and talk to the police, and because and the bus was leaving for town again with her, her kids, they turned around, the police had the road all blocked off. And so she said she had last seen me, she wasn't sure, she said somewhere probably between four and seven minutes when she had last seen me, just getting ready to come across the yard there. And um, so she was walking, they were walking back to the house and they were gonna go around the tree the other way and she said she just happened to glance over and she saw my clothes, you know, and, and she says, is that mom? And her boyfriend says, no, I don't think so. And she says, yeah, that looks like mom. So she ran over there and, and she said I was already purple. And, um, her boyfriend kind of turned me over and she ran screaming back behind the house to try and get one of the firemen and uh, run back there and then had to explain to him what was going on and they said he come just, one of the young firemen, bless his heart, you know, he come just 
running as hard and fast as he could go, and they said it was just like sliding into home base. He got down on his knees and slid right up to me and just immediately started doing doing CPR on me. And uh, did a pretty good job on the, on the CPR. He broke every rib, and most of them in, in two places, and put a rib through my lung. And... Um, you know, I had gone into cardiac arrest, which I didn't know this previously, but a heart attack and cardiac arrest are two different things, and I'm not sure exactly on the heart attack, but with the cardiac arrest, your heart just starts quivering and just doesn't do anything, so all your blood just kind of quits. And um, so this guy is sitting there working on me, and... and um, he was screaming, somebody go get my kit, somebody go get my kit out of the truck. And and um, my husband was rushing around all these different fire trucks. They couldn't find, um, what do you call it, a defibrillator? They didn't have one on board any of the trucks at all. And so this guy is just sitting there just doing the CPR and CPR and CPR and... Um, they said I had no pulse for 20 minutes, and um, they every time they would, when they finally did get me going again, where I I had a, a heartbeat, then I would just rearrest again, and I arrested four times there in in the yard, and um, I don't remember hardly any of that. Um, I think about the only thing I actually remember from the time I went down and first realized I was laying there on, on the ground was um, the fireman yelling, somebody get my kit, somebody get my kit. And then the next thing I remember is just a little bit of movement when they were putting me on a backboard to get me in the, the ambulance. And... Um, so they ended up heading down the road towards Pioneer with me, and the fire chief stayed to tell my family that I was not going to make it, that um, there's only like a 5% chance at best of surviving a cardiac arrest, and I had just had four. And they just, he, he said I was trying to not be Debbie Downer, but it was, you know, you were not going to make it. And I guess I woke up just, just a brief second or two in the in the ambulance on the on the way to Pioneer, but then I don't remember anything from there. They took me into Pioneer, um, got me in there, uh, I arrested again, and the same young fireman brought me around again, and after he got a pulse and I arrested another time, so six six times. And um, then finally a nurse took over for this poor guy, and they um, stuck me on. They got the family together and told them just get get everybody together to say goodbye because this is this is it. And they did get me on life flight and sent me over to St. Charles. And at some point around then, um, Michaela told my... Um, my adult daughter, she said, call Pastor Rory. <laughs> and that's when I guess you guys all got the, the word down here and um, started praying. So I'm laying there in the intensive care in, in St. Charles, totally, you know, out, out of it and didn't know any of this that was going on. And... Um, same thing, they were telling all the family, you know, she's not going to make it, she's not going to make it. And they were getting ready to put me in this cold room to keep your, I guess, keeps your organs from dying or something. And they were just, just getting ready to bring the thing in and, and hold me down there. And I just woke up. And um, I was just laying there and looked down, and there's my daughter Jill sitting down at the foot of the, my bed. And she looked at me and she says, Mom, Mom, can you move your toes? And I'm like, 
wiggle my toes? And I'm like, yeah. And she says, can you move your hands? And I'm like, yeah. Uh, it's like, you know, last time I checked, you know. And, and she started just yelling, and the doctor come running in, and he looked at me, and he said, this is amazing. He says, this is a miracle. And I'm like, what? And I mean, I, I had been totally out of it for this, this whole thing, and at that point, I had no pain or anything still, and hadn't tried to really breathe yet. Um, so I, I just didn't know anything, you know, and I'm looking around. Obviously, I'm in a, in a hospital. I thought I was in, in Pioneer yet, and, and um, I assumed I'd probably passed out from some smoke inhalation and just too much running around and stuff, and I was kind of like I was about ready to get up and go home, and the doctor says, well, um, you know, you've just had six cardiac arrests. And I'm like, a heart attack? You gotta be kidding, you know? And he says, no, not a heart attack, cardiac arrest. Well, it didn't mean much to me, you know? And um, anyhow, so I don't remember, was that, was that when you came in? Or was that the next day? Next day. So I was only just awake for a little bit and they put me back, they put me out at that point. And then the next thing I remember is um, I woke up and Rory was holding my hand. <laughs> and um, I just knew I, I had had, I guess you'd call it a dream, something. Um, and I just knew I had to tell Rory, at that point, I guess I wasn't 100% certain I was gonna, gonna make it, and I wanted to be sure to tell this to Rory, but um, while I was out between the first time I woke up and, and, and the second time when I woke up with, with him there, um, what I saw was just a, a almost black sky, just a really, really dark navy blue with just billions and billions of little stars out there. And I was just kind of, you know, like looking around and I saw five, maybe six demons off in front of me and slightly to my right. And I, mean, I, don't, I don't know how I could tell they were demons, but I knew they were demons. I mean, there was just absolutely no other other way to describe it, they were they were demons, and I was just looking at them, and I'm kind of wondering where I am and what I'm doing, and and um, they started coming towards me, just just slowly moving moving towards me, and they were laughing, and I just was kind of just sitting there. I mean, they weren't saying anything; they were just just laughing. And as they got closer and closer, you know, I'm kind of thinking, well, this is where the cavalry is supposed to come in. You know, where is Jesus? I was I was realizing that at that point, you know, and he was nowhere around. And so then I started getting kind of a little bit nervous, and I could just these demons just kept coming closer and closer and closer to me, kind of up on on my right hand side here, and um, I was getting freaked out. I, I really expected Jesus was going to just be there and get rid of the whole whole bunch, and, and he wasn't, and they were just getting closer and louder, and I just all kinds of thoughts just started going through my mind, you know, like, you know, what did I not do? Um, you know, what did I not do enough of? Um, you know, just just thinking over, you know, what sin did I commit that wasn't forgivable, and just all kinds of thoughts were going through my mind, and I was getting really scared, and then all of a sudden, um, it just the thought just went through my head. It has nothing to do with me, at all. Just, it's not about me. It's about Jesus. It doesn't matter how much I did do, how much I didn't do. It's all about Him. And as soon as I thought that, a lion just appeared right in front of me and just didn't even look at me or anything, just was there. And 
I guess when you think of the Lion of Judah, I was expecting, you know, this really big, strong, young lion. It was a good-sized lion, but he was not, he wasn't a young lion. It was a, you know, very powerful, just very, very powerful. And he just stood and looked at him and didn't look at me, didn't say anything. I mean, there was nothing. And then he just roared and the demons just went, they were gone. Um, and then after that, um, you know, the demons were gone, the lion was gone, and I was just kind of laying there, just, there's this just endless sky with the billions and billions of stars and it was just so peaceful there there was no bright lights there was no dead relatives there was nothing like that just just this just like like endless space but there was there was light there was enough light from the stars you know it wasn't scary or anything it was just very very peaceful and i was just laying there and i could i could feel god there just um, you know, when you're a little kid and you can't, you can't picture how God can be here and at grandma's house and in South Africa and all that, you just can't picture how he is everywhere, you know, you, you believe it because that's what you're told, but it just, you can't put it together in your mind. And now I know because God was just there everywhere um there's just like no place you can go that's too high <laughs> too low too deep too wide there is nowhere you can go where he isn't he is everywhere and the the one feeling that hit me more than anything was just the power and the majesty i didn't see him i did not talk to him he didn't talk to me i just knew he was there and yeah i i can't i can't begin to put it in in words it was just so overwhelming and yet not scary it just gave you the most the biggest sense of of just comfort and and you know peacefulness and just knowing that he's got it all under control and the other thing that I thought was, you know, when, when, when you just sit there and you look at this, this endless space and you know God is everywhere, that, you know, there's no beginning, there's no end. He was just, you know, like Genesis 1-1, in the, in the beginning, God, you know, that's just what it was. Is he, was he was everywhere and always has been everywhere, always will be everywhere, and he's got it all under control and... I thought these people who set themselves up against God, you know, whether they're kings and rulers or just ordinary people like us, you know, and, and think they're going to stick their fist in his face and just, they, they have no clue the power they're dealing with. Just, just none. And it just made me feel very sorry for anybody who, who doesn't know God's son and doesn't know the love that he has for us because, you know, I didn't feel wrath, just just a, a lot of love, but there was that power there too. And, and it was like the sense that, you know, the end is coming. I don't know when, but it is coming. And, and all these people who think they can set themselves up against the Lord, just, they don't, they don't know what's in store for them, you know, and, and boy, you, you need to pray for, <laughs> pray for people. But um, I just lay there, never really been able to come up with a good description for basking before, but I was just basking in God's love, you know, just laying there and just feeling all the love and knowing how much he truly, truly loved me, you know, for maybe the first time in my life, just really understood what God's love is like in that 
there's nothing we have to worry about because there is nothing that can overcome him. And I don't know how long I sat there and just took that in. I mean, I don't know if it was 10 minutes or 10 hours. I just, I don't, I don't know. I just sat there and just kind of accepted that, that love from him. And um, then at some point, there was someone, a man walking up to me, just out of, out of the darkness, and the top part of him was shadowed, so I was never able to see his face or even really like his shoulders, just the lower part of him. But he, um, it was the Lord. I, just, he didn't speak to me, I didn't speak to him, but he just came walking up out of the darkness, just straight, straight towards me, and um, he was wearing robes. There was an inner robe that was a cream color with, with dark brown stripes on it and a solid colored, cream colored outer robe and, and brown sandals. And he just came walking up and stopped right in front of me. And um, I looked down and I don't know why, I just looked down and I was just looking at his feet with these, these sandals on and his feet were just lightly dusty. And the only thing that went through my mind was to just fall on my knees and kiss his feet. And that's, that's what I did, you know, just, you know, it was kind of like, I guess I could kind of understand Mary, Mary Magdalene, you know, and, and there just that, that sense that, I mean, just hit your knees and, and it wasn't, it wasn't like you had to, it wasn't like you were being, you know, forced to or felt guilty or anything else, just, just worship, I guess, just falling on your knees and, and I mean, what a privilege to kiss the Lord's dusty feet. Just un unbelievable. And then he just turned around and just walked away. And I think it was shortly after that that I woke up and Rory was, was there and one of my family members was standing there saying, nope, nope, it's the meds. I'm like, no, <laughs> it was not the meds. You don't, you know, you don't see that and feel that, you know, just from a little too much medication. But um, anyway, after that, um, I, I guess they were still telling my family for a week that I wasn't going to make it. I mean, after, I think it was a day or so after I talked to you, they moved me down into another room and I was eating and talking to people and stuff and, and um, certainly didn't feel like I was going to die off. I was thinking about going home, but they were still telling my family I was probably not going to make it. Because you know, I guess a lot of these patients that go through this end up living a week or two and then just just pass away. But um, I spent days in there just looking at the wall and just just bringing that back to mind over and over. And I don't care if I live to be 110, I will never, ever, ever lose that sense of, of what I felt when, you know, the lion appeared in front of me when the man walked up in front of me and I bent down and kissed his feet or just laying there, just feeling God's presence. But uh, anyway, I, uh, I did make it and it was, it was kind of cool because just about every nurse, doctor, you know, people clean the toilets, everybody that came in would walk in and they, they all have to ask your name as soon as they walk in the room, and so they would, and and as soon as they did, they just go, oh, oh, you're the lady that came through that fire, and you know had all the heart attacks and or the cardiac arrest and stuff, and 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 so yeah, and so they'd start asking me questions, and I was just able to kind of share with them almost all of them. I just shared with them what I shared with you tonight, and um, man, people were just kind of blown away by it. There was uh, one nurse that came back a couple of times and talked to me 
quite a bit more and asked me a lot of questions and she just broke down crying and said she'd been through a divorce and was just really having a tough time and she says you don't know how much what you told me is, has, has helped me and the last day or so before I went home I was able to get out and walk down the hall a little bit with a walker and you know it's the same thing you know people at the nurse's station go oh there's that lady that come through the fire and and uh, you know apparently everybody had just been telling other people about what had happened and the neat thing was that they were telling them what I saw and so that is what was getting around and more and more people come in like I said somebody bring me a glass of water come in to clean the toilet whatever would just come in and kept asking me you know so I was able to share Jesus with them and um, after I came home went through some tough time broken ribs are really 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 not fun to deal with and I've had some other health issues and stuff going on um, You know, one of one of the things um, that when you have cardiac arrests, like like I did, almost all the time, if somebody does survive, they um, they end up a vegetable. I mean, basically like sitting in a nursing home, staring at the wall, not knowing anybody, type vegetable. And um, the other thing is this was why my daughter was yelling at me when I first woke up is generally they cannot move their hands or, or feet and and it just pretty much end up paralyzed and best case scenario is you usually have a lot of brain damage and I'm not gonna say I don't have any but I might add some probably prior to but <laughs> um, I've got some some memory loss and I get confused and stuff at times there's some different things going on and, and whatnot but um, you know, since I've been home, um, I've just been so close to the Lord. I've always struggled in my prayer life, um, even even at home on my own. I hate praying in public at all. I mean, I just absolutely hate it. But even on my own, I've always just struggled. I guess back to that same old trust issue. You just you know, it's really hard to open up and talk to somebody when you can't trust them 100%. And now it's just like, I know who my father is. And I'm not worried about whether I'm saved or not. I'm not worried about whether I'm good enough or not. I'm not worried about whether I can do enough things or not. Um, haven't changed completely. I still try and do stuff and get very frustrated at times, but you know, it's it's just kind of pretty easy to fall back into, you know, knowing that I don't have to do it all. He's not expecting me to do anything. Even even our faith, you know, just, just the faith. I don't have to sit there and struggle to have faith because he even gives us our faith. You know, he gives us everything, you know, absolutely everything we need, you know, and, and just, you know, once we come to him, you know, he just takes over from there. And so now it's just so easy, early morning, late at night, waking up two, three, four, five times at night, you know, I just, I wake up and I can just talk to my father now. I don't have to sit there and think, is he listening? You know, have I screwed up too bad today? Have I not done enough? Um, you know, it's just, he's my father and he's there and he's there all the time. He's with me. He's over in South Africa, but he's with me 24/7. I don't have to have to wait or hope. He's just he's just there all the time. And I've asked him, you know. So what I wanted to do was, you know, do something. So at the Bema seat judgment, I uh, I guess I you know I could say, hey, I've done this and done that, you know, but. Um, I can't do anything now. You know, there was a time I couldn't even breathe by myself. If God hadn't been helping me, I wouldn't have even been able to breathe. And, you know, I know he still loves me, but I'm like, what can I do? I can't do anything now. I have, you know, I mean, I'm getting around with a cane. I'm lucky to do that. Uh, some days I'm bouncing off the walls. Um, 
you know, I can't think straight. Um, never been very good at a lot of things, but I'm really not good at anything now. And so I'm like, Lord, what can I do now? I can't even stand up for a few minutes. And he says, you can tell others about me. And so, you know, I guess for the time being, unless something changes, I'm a witness for him. Yeah, yeah, let's do it. Um, Lynette had come into my office and we had chatted for a little while just a few months ago and um, I was, don't get up, I'm going to pray for you. (laughs) And I just mentioned to her, maybe you could come and share what happened and share your testimony and and it was just really cool because she said, you know, a couple months ago I would have never, never, like not even thought about it, it's not even a question. And, um, and she goes, you know, I was dead, <laughs> you know, it's like, what else can happen to me? What bad can happen to me? You know? And, uh, she was just saying like, man, I, she said it better than I could, but, um, this is what the Lord has told me I'm supposed to do now is testify of him. And could you just sense the Holy spirit speaking through her when, when he would speak of, or she would speak of his majesty and. You know, that's just so, so cool. We are so blessed and we're excited for what God has for you. And, um, and what a word too, when she was just speaking of, um, the idol of the horses, you know, and we can all think of things in our life that are bad gods, like she put it. And then she's describing Yahweh. She's describing Yeshua, you know, and seeing him and just, and her description of that God in comparison and um, praise God, we got to hear you declare his virtues and his splendor tonight. So we worship the Lord with you. But let me pray for you right now. And, and Lord, we do give you glory for Lynette sitting right here in our midst and, and not a decrepit, fragile, um, powerless word coming forth, but strength and energy and power of the Holy Spirit um, just declaring who you are, God and how you've taken her out of the miry pit and set her feet upon the rock and you put a song in her heart. And many will see and many will fear and tremble and say, who is this that's done such a great thing for Lynette? And, um, and Lord, we worship you for what you've done. We praise you. You are the hero of this whole story, God. And um, Lord, we pray for um, just anyone in this room that is where she has been or is where she's um, just, they can sympathize and Lynette can sympathize. And, um, and Lord, that, um, Lord, you just draw people to this beautiful relationship um, where they would pound the pages of the scripture and say, this is what I want, Lord. This is what I want. I want to just be able to stand before you and worship you. And, and, um, and so, Lord, we pray over Lynette and over her body, Lord, that you continue to touch her and heal her and, and just protect her heart, Lord. And um, thank you for the strength you've given her. And, and uh, just pray even over this gifting and this new calling that you've given her to tell others of what you've done. And we pray you'd open up radical doors to share, Lord, um, radio and TV and newspaper and, and, um, and friends and coffee and, and other things, Lord. And that she just be able to declare the world of just your majesty, God. Thank you so much for her. Thank you for Nikayla. And even thinking of Nikayla getting baptized this summer and just standing up for Jesus and just wanting to live a life that's used for you, spent for you, Lord. Just uh, encourage Nikayla tonight and just empower her for the work that you have for her. Just pray all this in Jesus.